This is an ABC podcast. So this was November 2012. You know, when it was announced that he was playing Canberra, of all places, I concocted a little plan, I guess you could say. I made up a little package in the hope that, you know, I miraculously might somehow be able to get this package to a PA or someone on his staff. So it was wrapped up in wrapping paper with a little ribbon on the front. It just looked like a Christmas present, really. I made sure I got a seat um, on the floor towards the front. It's like a 20,000-seater, like it's a massive open-air venue. And I'm sitting there and I've got this little package under my chair. And I'm shaking and I'm sweating and I'm thinking... Oh, God, like, I'm, re- I'm running out of time here. Like, he's nearly at the encore. What do I do? When the light sort of went dim, I thought this was my best opportunity. I took the package and I walked around side of stage and there was a sort of a gap in the fence and I, like, I actually just, like, went through security. There was, you know, obviously people were kind of chasing after me and I I saw a member of his uh, security team and luckily I managed to just throw that package to this guy kind of just frisbeed it and he picked it up and that's the last I saw and then obviously I was escorted away I thought okay well you know what I tried that's all I can do It, it happened it's over we've just come back from the gig and everyone knew I went to the gig and I was really excited about it And I get a phone call. I'm Elizabeth Kulas. Welcome to Days Like These. If you've ever had a hero, like a sports star, maybe a musician, you might have wished that one day you could meet them. You know, you'd hang out, chew the breeze, maybe you'd even become friends. Tate Sheridan had this dream, that his letter, that his demo CD, would open the door to a superstar, a musical god, his hero. Our reporter James Viver picks up the story as Tate picks up the phone. But who's on the other end? On my phone, it just says no caller ID, and I... I pick up the phone and I hear, hi, is this Tate? And I went, yeah, yeah who's this? Hi, it's, it's Elton. I just thought, okay, this is um, obviously a prank call because I'm sitting with my mates at, at uni. We're having like a beer. So I just hit end call. Now, I'd always had the dream that I wanted... Elton to hear my music. Um, for a long time, like even just listening to him as a kid, I thought, you know, imagine that. So in that package, I had included like an, a very extensive eight-page letter just about my life and about my music and about my journey, about my um, love for him. And I also included a CD of something like eight to ten little demos of songs that I'd written. If he could hear something I created, that would just mean everything to me.
was my incredibly good fortune that that same number rang straight back. He said something like, this really is Elton John. Um, I'm, I'm in the air right now. I'm flying back to Sydney. I've just played Canberra. And then he said, um, I got your present and I've just read your letter and I've just listened to a few of your songs and I am absolutely blown away. And your letter was so touching. Thank you so much. And then I'm, I haven't said a word yet, but I'm thinking, oh my God, like I actually know that voice probably better than anyone on earth. Um, this, this could be legitimate and real. He invited me to come to the show um, in Sydney the next day and come backstage. And he said, all right, thank you, bye. And that was it. And then I returned to the table of my friends and I look like I've just seen a ghost, obviously. And then one of my mates was like, oh, who was that? And I just, I just, I'll never forget, like I just was like, that was um, Sir Elton John on the phone. Now, look, I know lots of people are huge fans of Elton John, but not all of them are musicians like Tate. He's a really gifted piano player, and in 2012, the time of this amazing phone call, he's studying at the ANU School of Music in Canberra, writing songs and honing his craft. It's something he's been doing ever since he was a kid. Artists like Elton were his inspiration. His music to me as a, as a kid, you know, it really, um, it saved me at times. You know, it was like a lifeline. I'm a child of divorce and that was not easy to go through. And I remember just hiding away in my bedroom some nights, um, just listening to, to artists like Elton and really carried me through. I was very shy, um, I still am, and I've, I found solace in, in those great records and they were, you know, almost like my best friends in a way. Tate accepted Sir Elton's invitation, obviously, and the next day went to the huge concert venue in Sydney. I walked in, I was ushered in by his personal assistant, probably the nicest smelling room I've ever entered in my life, filled with roses and in, in beautiful ferns. Elton loves um, like collecting things. He's a, an, an avid collector. So there were all these bobbleheads and incredible perfumes and, and flowers and, yeah, and that kind of thing. And he was sitting there on the couch in his Adidas tracksuit, looking very, you know, godlike and incredible. And then he just pulled me in for a big hug. And I, I kind of almost just broke down. I couldn't believe that any of this was real. I remember saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just really nervous. And he said, of course you are. And then we just sat and talked for a good couple of hours about um, nothing to do with him, but everything to do with me, my journey and my musical tastes. I was thinking, like, this is all going to end. It'll be like a whirlwind for the rest of my life. I'll be an old man in a rocking chair thinking about those days with Elton John. And I was so worried that I would be, he would just forget about me and it'd be all over. And then um, he pulled out a napkin and a sharpie and wrote out his email address. 
and said, let's keep in touch, you know, because I really like your music and I, I see you as a, a bit of a budding singer-songwriter and you could really take this far. And then that's sort of how this really incredible relationship began. We sort of developed like this system where I'd send him a song every week or two and he would send back feedback. I have a very good example in mind and this song's called Fade to Black. simple, kind of like a country-ish ballad, simple chords, simple harmony. I emailed him an initial demo that I really just made all myself with a tiny little recorder. He thought the song had, was such a good germ of an idea that I should never abandon it and come back to it and keep working on it. Him actually really liking it, but saying you could try this or you could um, extend this. The first thing he wanted me to think about was the lyrics. And just sort of, you know, being a bit more expressive. Prescriptive. It was just sort of steering me in, in sort of different ideas. Um, nothing was ever told to me of what to play or what to write, but it was just very suggestive, you know, in, in sort of the evolution or the journey of a song. So, you know, you would have heard in that version, it starts very simply like this. But then, you know, um, with suggestions and steering me in different directions, I started to actually echo the vocal melody with the piano melody. So it's, this is the actual melody. It's not about, you know, saying, oh, you must have this note here or you must have this chord here really getting me to discover my own artistry. So it was more about me thinking about the song, coming up with my own creative decisions that would help the track. And this is what you can hear, the difference between the demo and the studio master. Just the way the guitar enters. It's got a nice sort of slide that comes in. Or the way the drums entered. And we talked a lot about how the drums should enter. You know, and, and he, he would often just say, think about, think about the, the song as a journey, like for the listener. Or he'd say, like, I love this, I love the dramatics of this, or love the piano playing, or, you know, you're really finding your stride. Then there's a harmonica solo, which was another thing I added. He liked the song so much, he said, keep working on it. Don't, you know, I'm not saying... Don't go back to the drawing board. Keep going. Keep building that texture. 
and the band come in and then a big outro. The drums kick in from brushes and go to a bit more of a full-out rock feel. And then much more vocal oohs and ahs from me. There's a guitar hook that comes in, a bit of a guitar solo. He was so thrilled with it. Um, he was so happy that I kept going with it and didn't abandon it and listened to his advice. I don't know, it sounds a bit cheesy, but I wanted him to be proud of me or just see that I had a good work ethic or that I was taking this seriously, that I wanted to, you know, better my songwriting and be a better musician. So he's really become like a father figure in that, in that department for me. Yeah, as the years sort of went on, um, we became very close. Now, Elton John has a radio show on Apple Music each week. It's called The Rocket Hour. He plays his favourite tunes and interviews other musicians about their work. That's actually a pretty great listen, because, after all, it's Elton John. Not only has he written some of the most famous tunes on the planet, he's also a music aficionado. Sir Elton will often feature up-and-coming artists, which is a huge deal. The Rocket Hour has a global audience, and imagine if a rock deity chose to play your record. Now I have a really great story to tell you. Three years ago I played in Australia and I did a tour, and I met a young fan called Tate Sheridan. I talked to him and he was a piano player and he was a, a budding uh, singer-songwriter and he wanted some advice. So I gave him my email and we've been emailing each other back and forth for three years. And he's come such a long way and it's so great to see a little seedling grow into a, a, a really fabulous new young artist. This is from an EP he's just done and this is a beautiful song called Fade to Black. Watch out, this is Tate Sheridan. Okay, this guy is not just feeding me crap. Like, he's not lying to me. If he's going to play this on his own public, big time, like Apple Music Beats One radio show, he must think I'm, like, he must think I'm okay, you know? Actually, quite a bit better than okay, as he was about to find out. It's 2015. Tate's now 23. He's finished uni and is on a trip to New York to soak up the music scene. And Elton was in the Big Apple too. And obviously if I was going, I would sort of hope to line it up and maybe see Elton again, because I hadn't seen him since 2012. We'd been pen pals for this long, but there was a point in his schedule that lined up. He was playing the Waldorf Astoria with Tony Bennett, of all people. We met up and then we just talked about, you know, my progress and what I was doing and, and how proud he was of me and how all that hard, diligent work that I was doing. And then things just got very quiet. And he really, you know, got into sort of serious mode, just, you know, looking right at me. And, yeah, just the tone of his voice really became very proper. And, and I could tell, you know, he was going to say something important. And he said, you know, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to Australia and New Zealand at the end of this year, in November, December, and I need an opening act. And my heart is just starting to go crazy. And he's like, how would you like to, you know, open for me? 
come out and do like half an hour of your own songs every night and you can use my piano if you like. And it's like a stunned silence. Um, I could not believe it, like genuinely. Um, I just, my whole body seized up. I didn't know what to say. Like I actually didn't even respond for a bit. And of course, after, you know, I got over myself, I said, yes, I would love to do that. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So it was really like those years of working and sending him all those songs and all that progress that really did impress him enough to ask me to do that in person. I just wanted to like run up to someone and hug them. Like I was so happy. Just, I was just so ecstatic. Like just, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like the really just, the the air smelt differently. You know, the sun was coming down and it was so surreal. Um, and I do remember going straight to a bar and I'm thinking, what the hell am I going to play? You know, I started to freak out. Um, or that even if any of that was just real, what just happened. Elton booked take for 10 shows in Australia and New Zealand, each with a 30-minute set of his own material. The first of the gigs was in Wellington, at a huge sporting arena, in front of 30,000 people. That first, first night I'll never forget. Just my heart's pounding, and I'm trying not to lose my mind. Just don't mess this up. Don't lose your head and don't get too nervous. The roar of that crowd was like so loud. And I'm like, you know, they're, they're all cheering for me. They don't even know who I am. I remember walking out and just trying to have a good stride in my step. And, but sitting down, I just closed my eyes, counted to three. And then went straight into it. In his 50 years of touring, no one else has ever been allowed to touch his piano, let alone play it in public. It's like a nine-foot black Yamaha Grand, custom-made for him. The keys are like a bit shorter because he has sort of shorter fingers. Sort of different action that I'm used to. Sluggish, I guess the word I'd use. The electricity of actually touching that instrument really blew me away. I was trying not to be too hard on myself, but I thought overall it went pretty well. I got a good reception and then, you know, I'm coming off stage at the end of my set and there's Elton dressed in all his, like, jewels and everything, standing at the, in the wings watching me. And someone on his team was like, oh, you know, he's never done that for any other support. Um, come and actually watch the artist. And then he gave me a big hug and, and he was like, well, how was that, baby? Tate's run on tour with Elton finished at the end of 2015. Three years earlier, he was in the crowd at Elton's concerts. Now he was on the same stage. So if you've opened for Elton John, career sorted, right? Stardom on its way, record deal around the corner. Well, no, actually. So it was kind of just going back into oblivion, really. And it was a bit of a, you know, a crash back down to earth, to be honest. Going through a lot of um, interviews with possible labels and people and management and it fall, falling through. It was a lot of rejection. I thought for a long time that I just blew the opportunity and that clearly I wasn't good enough and that I might even never make it in this industry. Of course you have those thoughts, yeah. Elton's advice and support was like, you know, don't give up, keep going, keep positive. That was the biggest thing, stay positive, keep writing. You know, he, he's always been about, you got to work hard and you got to pay your dues. That's what every artist has done who's ever made it. They've, you know, learnt their craft, paid their dues and done all that stuff. Rocket Hour, episode 148. 
another really good show from Sir Elton. He played his usual mix of new and old, some contemporary R&B, some rare groove from the 60s, again showing the breadth of his experience and taste. And guess who came up again? I'm going to play you something again from Australia. Good Lord. Tate Sheridan is someone who I love and who toured with me, and his music is not top 40 radio and he tries it he manages himself he pays for his albums he pays for his own tours and it's like will someone in australia please sign this guy to a label and a music publishing deal he's brilliant and just because he's not you know uh, current pop music doesn't mean to say that he's not brilliant this is from his new album angel man it's the title track and it's absolutely gorgeous well i'm finally Life is anything but fair You left us in the middle of the night Music for me is like a calling in life and I feel compelled to keep doing it. And I also love doing it. So it doesn't really matter at the end of the day with all that rejection. It's more the fact that I, I want to keep going for me and keep doing it for me. That it's gonna be Tate gigged up and down the East Coast, even spent a month in Nashville writing songs at Universal Music. But nothing seemed to stick. He recorded this song too, Angel Man. It's actually about Elton John. In 2019, Sir Elton invited Tate to open for him again. Amazing. This time 30 gigs on his farewell tour. I was feeling very touched um, that I got to be the only support act in the world to do anything with him on this farewell tour because there's been no supports any, in any other countries. Tate wouldn't change touring and being friends with Elton John for the world. But that kind of experience can bring into sharp relief what Tate's yet to achieve in his career. In 2020, age 28, he's still chasing a record deal. He's not someone who has a rock star aura about him. But then again, that's not Tate. You know, I've never wanted um, huge celebrity fame or, or that kind of status. Yes, it would be nice to have that sort of legendary, iconic influence on the world and, you know, leaving all that wonderful music behind. But for me, I just, I don't think it's really um, what I ultimately want. My dream is honestly to be sort of in my mid-40s and be able to, you know, do a little tour of theatres and sell them out. You know, just playing my own original songs to a small but loyal fan base who really enjoys what I do. It's also about artistic credibility for me and the the process of creating and and making sure I never stop doing that. He's always said to me, there's only one thing harder than coping with failure, and that's coping with success. And I I do think we'll always be close. I I really hope forever, honestly. I feel like we have this sort of special bond in a way, and we've just gone through 
actually a lot together when I think about it. So yeah, I hope it continues for a long, long time. Like a true troubadour, Tate Sheridan is still searching for that record contract. He's currently in the studio recording his first full-length album, out later this year. And a huge thanks to Tate for scoring this episode with his own music. That's him you heard on keys. And we absolutely love hearing from you. If you enjoyed Tate's music or you've got a wild story you think just might find a home on days like these, shoot us an email or a voice memo. We're days like these at abc.net.au. And go ahead and follow us on your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Today's story was reported by James Viver and Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Kulas. Our lead reporter is Pada Bud and the Season 3 reporting team includes Sam Wicks, Belinda Lopez, Anthony Scully, Melanie Tate, James Viver, John Chia, Meg Bolton, Taylor Gray and Alicia Sometimes. Our researcher is Tamar Kranswick, and the supervising producer on this story is Sophie Townsend. Sound design by Timothy Jenkins, and our digital team includes Michael Delaney and Andrew Davies. Our executive producers are Rachel Fountain and Ian Walker. Our theme song is Yeah Now by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Ratbag Records and BMG. Additional music by Russell Stapleton. See you next time. On the next episode of Days Like These... You never really hear a horse just fall on its side, like straight onto its side. So it's a massive sort of thud. Yeah, 600 kilos of horse onto earth. Artist Ty Snaith is devastated when her beloved horse Ziffy dies in front of her. She sits down next to him, ready to say her goodbyes. And then out of the trees hundreds, I'm not exaggerating, it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not, hundreds of monarch butterflies, they came out of the trees and then they just all sat on his body, his still warm horse body, and they just sat there. So what could these mysterious creatures be doing, and why are they here now, in this paddock with a dying dapple grey horse? That's next time on Days Like These. And while you're there, follow Days Like These in your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode. While you're waiting, though, why not try listening to another fabulous ABC podcast? Like this one. Hello, Maggie Dent here from Parental As Anything. I don't know if there's ever been a tougher time to be a parent. Seriously. So I want to answer your big worries and your big questions and hopefully relieve you of that niggling self-doubt that plagues pretty much every parent on the planet. In Parental as Anything, you'll get super practical and useful tips and advice about everything from bedwetting and fighting siblings to how to bring up teenagers and stay sane. And also, we're all about parents giving themselves a break. 
Make sure you put your phone down when the children are present. Well, I can only parent because I've got my phone because it enables me to send the sneaky work email or all that idea that you, you're supposed to be present and in the moment and creating special memories. Well, I want to create dinner before I've got to take the kids to football. That would be a creation I'd be proud of. <laughs> you can find Parental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent, in the ABC Listen app and wherever you get your podcasts.